0: How's everybody doing? This is Chicken of the Believe in Boston podcast on the League Network. Also broadcast nationwide on TuneIn Radio as well. Joining me on the podcast for the first time in what feels like forever, which is unforgivable that I'm completely forgetting exactly when this was. Pardon me for my, for my early onset of forgetfulness. But either way, Lauren Willing. She is on the podcast this time for the first time on Believe in Boston Betting. Last time I spoke to her, we were talking about this was like early February, which is hard to believe. But either way, it is awesome to talk to you again. Thank you for joining the podcast. How have you been? How has your 2022 treated you so far?
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to chat again and be be collaborative again. I'm I'm super excited. But the whole year overall has been pretty pretty good to me. I got married in August, so... I feel like that just, no matter what has happened throughout the year, that just puts the cherry on top. Congratulations.
0: On, on, Thank um, you. And, and the new marriage to you and your husband, and I mean, 2022 has been an incredible year all the way through and through. There's no other way to really put it. Um, from personal lives to professionally and, and sports has been wild, to say the least. And Lauren, if I'm going to be honest with you, I don't even know where the hell to really start. I mean, could we, we could start with the bad, that is the Patriots, or we could start with the positive with the positive and wish that. Let's talk with the positive. Let's talk with the Bruins, for God's sake. Yeah. Sakes, because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, listen, here we are as we're doing the last episode of 2022. We're just a couple of days away from New Year's Eve. Next episode of Believe in Boston betting podcast will be after the new year. I don't think anybody could have foreseen this back in September when the Bruins were in training camp that this team would not only be as dominant as this team has been, but also have the best record in, in the NHL, the best goaltending save percentage in the NHL, but also, dare I even say, top three in basically every offensive and defensive category. So, Lauren, how stunned are you by the by the Bruins' Um, start through the first like 30, 35 games of the season now.
1: Yeah. It, this took me by surprise because at the beginning of the season, I just said, all they have to do is play 500 hockey. Just yeah. get back to a hundred percent health, get Grizzly, get McAvoy and Marshan back. And they all came back way ahead of schedule. So props to that, the trainers and their, wherever they rehabbed. And obviously the players are putting in the work and doing everything right to get back. I think all of them came back about a month early. So those are major surgeries too. And I you know I did not expect this kind of start from Linus Allmark, which is much needed after Jeremy Swayman's injury. He has seemed to turn a corner now. So it looks like he's starting to gain his form and maybe kind of get over the sophomore slump a little early, which is which is very, very nice to have two solid goalies. That's a, that's a very good problem to have. But looking toward the future, Brad Marchand keeps saying that he's not happy with his game, that he's not 100%. That There's still another level for him to reach, which is terrifying, seeing the way he moves and the way he's been been able to handle the puck. Patrice Bergeron is just ageless. And then you have players like Nick Foligno and Derek Forber doing complete 180s, all under a new head coach. We all thought this was going to be one of the biggest storylines going in, was how is Jim Montgomery going to handle a team like the, the, the Bruins, a market like Boston, even though he was with Dallas and had his own fair share of big-name players down there, and he's done wonderful. The, the players are responding to him well. He, the, some players have more offensive freedom. They're playing more Montgomery style, and it wasn't that Bruce Cassidy's a bad coach because he's doing the same thing in Vegas. They're the best team out West. So it's just been so fun to watch, and every, every time you think there might be, oh, here's a little slump, they're like, no, we're not going to lose back-to-back games. What are you talking about? They're going to end 2022, well, the, this first half of 2022, without back-to-back losses, regardless of what happened Saturday. Like, that's pretty darn impressive.
0: It really is. And in every way, you you look at what the Bruins have been able to do this um, season so far, it's been astounding. I think there's no there's no other way to really put it. I mean, there's other supporters you can throw in there, sure, um, for the listening audience, but it's just astounding when you begin to think about what the expectations were at the start of training camp, even during preseason, as you mentioned, just tread water. That's what, that's what a lot of people at Neston has been saying. That's what I have been saying. Listen, just, just survive. We, we didn't expect 28, four and two. No, oh, <laughs> like, like, like no, no one expected that. Or or rather 28, Four and three, like, no one expected that at all. And I think if I had to nitpick as to what has made this so remarkable is that in the last couple of weeks, and I'd like to have your take on this, I don't think the Bruins have played their best hockey, where, like, they have looked sloppy at times, but even when they don't play their A game, they're still finding ways to win. Key example, last night's game against the New Jersey Devils had a horrible first period. I mean, probably stronger, but I'm going to go there. They had a horrible first period. But the second period, especially the the later half of the second period, in that third period, the Bruins were able to finally figure things out and win the game and take over when it matters. So, Lauren, like, is this this essentially the main ingredient of the 2022-23 Boston Bruins? Or do you believe that there's another intangible um, element to why this team has been on such a dominant run?
1: Yeah, the on time starts. They've been they've been hard to come by, and we yeah. saw it, even even though they lost to the Senators earlier this week, they didn't really play good hockey until the third period. So it was these on time starts. You need to start on time. I mean, we heard that a lot under Bruce Cassidy. We've heard that under Jim Montgomery too. That these you just to beat these teams, you need to make sure you don't fall in a hole. And the Bruins have had to fight back, but they've never really felt out of games. But you never want to put yourself in that position. You never want to put your goalie in that position either to put more pressure on them before the game really even starts. So I think that's hindered them, I guess, you know, not many losses this year, but I think the on-time starts, I don't really think the injuries, I mean, we saw when Derek Forbert was out for that month, how terrible the penalty kill was, but that was just very temporary. We knew that was going to be fixed when he came back, but I think that they've just been so successful. the, The chemistry is there. That locker room is so, so tight. Like, these guys are friends, best friends off the ice. And then you factor in Krejci's return, too, which just makes, you know, Bergeron a better player, which is scary. Bergeron elevates everyone who's around him. Jake DeBrusque is playing some of his best hockey. Paul Volzaka, even though he just snapped an 18-game scoring drought, whatever it was, he was still making plays and being seen on the ice. He wasn't being benched because Montgomery was like, he's still impacting the game. So I think what's helped too is that even when these guys aren't scoring, they're impacting the game in ways that maybe don't show up on the score sheet. But those on-time starts, they need to start – Starting games on time. Hopefully Saturday, but if not, then that needs to be the two thousand twenty-three resolution. Start on time.
0: Seriously. I mean, if we're gonna be completely honest, I mean the Bruins starting late makes the NBA TA look freaking good. (laughs) Right. I I mean Yes. I mean mean, like which is which is really saying something. But yet somehow the Bruins are still finding a way to get the job done. And then to continue on this topic. There is one thing I'm gonna nitpick at, and that is that third line, wow. Trent Frederick. Oh, yeah. Wow. Nick Felino when he's been on that third line, wow. But if you told me that Taylor Hall, Charlie Coyle, and Trent Frederick would, would be able to find such a cohesive um like chemistry on that third line, which is You can argue. You can argue that it is the best third line in the league. Just, just how dangerous has this been for the Boston Bruins, and especially against other teams across the league, where it seems like even when the first line doesn't have like their a the a game night, or their second line doesn't have their a game uh, night or whatever, but the third line has really stepped in and get the job done, not just offensively. But defensively, and I noticed last night that Taylor Hall really did a tremendous job, like backchecking, and it was just, it was eye opening. And it was like, wait, Taylor Hall backchecks? Oh, yeah. He's got a torture for a game. Okay, we really got something cooking here. Like, what? So, like, but Lauren, my, my goodness, this third line. Like, what else needs to be said that hasn't been said about the job that the third line has done so far this season, especially what you've seen, as I mentioned, Trent Frederick and his development but especially from, from Taylor Hall as well.
1: Yeah, if you told me that Taylor Hall was going to be a third liner, I would tell you that you are cuckoo pants and that you need to <laughs> you need to go sit down, have a glass of water or something because that's not why we traded for him. That's not why he was here. But, I mean, you look for so long, Spruin's team has had an identity as a one-line team, and that yes. was Marchand, Pasternak, and Bergeron, and Cassidy would not split them up. Even though Krejci wanted to play with Pashtunak, but you, you just couldn't with their chemistry and they were the only ones producing. And now all of a sudden that identity's gone because you have a really strong top line. You have a solidified second line. You have a very dangerous third line. And then you have a fourth line of just gritty guys who are going to fight for the puck. And I don't think Trent Frederick is getting enough credit this year. And maybe that's because of everything else that's been going on with the Bruins. He's a little under the, uh, underrated flying under the radar because he got into a lot of penalty trouble last year. Bruce Cassidy benched him when he was, you know, making reckless plays and just not providing the team with the, the things that they needed. And this year just 100 180 completely. I mean, he's yeah. dropping the gloves when it's necessary. He's not taking these dumb penalties. Yes, there's still going to be those every now and then. No one is perfect, but the way he's just evolved his game, whether that's Montgomery, whether that's his own maturing the last year, it's just been it's been great to watch. Bad for my brand, great for the, for the Bruins.
0: I mean, either way, the brand is impeccable, I must say. Yes. Yeah. But what I also will say is this. I was reading a, a column earlier today on, on YahooSports.com, and they came out with the betting odds as a favorites to win the Stanley Cup. And this is what stood out to me. The Bruins and the Colorado Avalanche, who have not gotten off to the best starts of the season, they've been really banged up in terms of injuries. Natrushkin um, has missed time. Um, Gabriel Landeskog hasn't played a game yet. He's missed time. Um, and Nathan McKinnon, he's missed significant time um, with, with injury as well, but he's close to return. But the Bruins and the Avalanche are are tied as the odds-on favorite at, at, um, at plus 500, 550 rather, excuse me, to win the cup. Now, I'm not sure how, like, how much you follow, like, gambling or, or even sports betting in general, but based on what you've seen this season, how much does it surprise you that to hear that the Bruins are still f- uh, a- a- tied at, with the defending Stanley Cup champion Avalanche uh, as the odds-on favorites to win the Cup this season, despite the fact that the Avalanche have been banged up and they've had a lot of injury woes so far this season?
1: Yeah, so uh, completely transparent, I have n- no idea. How to bet, how to gamble. I mean, I I can do the basics, you know. Um, but I mean, when I look at odds, I'm just like, oh, okay, they're the underdog. Oh, okay, like yeah. I know the I know the, the bare minimum. Like the, I know the money line and the over under. That's about as far as my betting knowledge goes. But fair enough. Even what I noticed about specifically the Avalanche and the the Bruins when they played each other. No, the Abs weren't healthy, but even if they were, I still feel like the Bruins would have been the better team. And I think maybe, I mean, I have no idea how, how sports books work. If they kind of look at that and be like, even at full strength, maybe the Bruins would have been better than the Avalanche. Yes. The Avalanche would have been better on those two games, but Mm -hmm. the Bruins made it look easy at times just, and these are the defending Stanley cup champions. You know, these, this is a really, really tough team. So I think that, I mean, given the start, no, I'm not surprised right now to see the Bruins as the favorite. I don't know if I could do seven games of Bruins avalanche. I I don't know. Those are my two teams. Those are, you know, those are, those are my guys. But I think that, A, that'd be awesome. But I think as the avalanche get healthy, I'll, I'll love to see how the books work. Then if it's going to be, are they going to leapfrog each other or the avalanche just going to completely fall off? I don't think that's the case. I, they don't, they're, they're injured right now. I don't think this is any sort of Stanley cup hangover, but Very, very interested to see as they get healthy, as the new year comes, comes here and we get closer, you know, once we get out of January, we really start kind of see, see maybe a playoff picture, what they'll look like, where, how far teams can really go. How are the, the, the books they're going to shift to from the avalanche to the Bruins? Because if I'm being honest, I'm still waiting for a a quote unquote drop off from the Bruins, but they've just sustained, sustained this, this style of play. So I'm like, I don't know if there is going to be a drop-off. If, oh, God forbid there's a three-game losing streak, but I don't know if there's going to be some sort of you know, setback like we've seen so many times with the Bruins when they do kind of hit a little lull.
0: And what's what's, what's impressive about that is, is that I am going to go on a little bit of a controversial angle here and say that that slump is coming. And I don't think it's yeah. entirely controversial, but I, I say that with context because it's an 82 game season. And this team is almost there at the official halfway mark of the regular season. So, you know, that slump it's coming. Right. It's not a matter of if it's like, okay, when, because even, even the best of teams in the NHL history in the regular season that have gone on slumps with the exception of the 2018, 19, 10 Bay lightning, where let's face it, they didn't face any sort of adversity, the entire regular season at all. No. And then their their first taste of adversity was game one against Columbus. They had a three nothing lead. And we all remember how that game ended. They blew the three nothing lead, lost four to three and lost the series in its entirety. So there are Bruin fans out there that are, I guess, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I've really picked up on that since on Twitter a lot, especially the last few weeks. Where I've seen people tell me, yeah, but I'm excited, but there's that but, dot, dot, dot. like Yep, yep. Like, there's that fear. And I don't know if you want to say if it's PTSD from 2019, oh, or no. if it's just the, the natural history of, of, like, having lost Cinderella's shoe at the dance, or <laughs> the fact that the Bruins have seen this time and time again. Great regular seasons, but fall flat on her face. In the postseason. So how would you address that if you were talking to Bruin fans about this? And do you think that sentiment is 100% fair?
1: Yeah, I would just say, listen, this is what usually happens in November. Usually they kind of hit that lull in November. We see them really start to struggle. But, you know, I would just say it's it, they've built enough. I mean, it's the Atlantic division is very tough. Yeah. But, you know, they've, they have 28 wins. They're atop the division. They're atop the league. They're not just going to fall to fall out of a playoff picture. This is bound to happen and maybe it's going to happen in the new year, but we've, you know, like we've talked about the on time starts. Is that because they're getting a little more tired? But what I do really like that I think has really helped even when they don't start on time is Jim Montgomery is really big on giving these guys days off. If they win games, you know, they usually get an extra day off. If he can, he gives them the weekend off when it's applicable. So he's very, very good about that. Giving them that extra rest and then, you know, Bergeron and Krejci and Martian, they get their maintenance days when needed. So he's he's very very good about that, which I think has contributed to this this start. But you know, as at some point the playoffs are coming, the schedule's going to get a little bit harder. They go out on the West Coast, which maybe that's when we're going to go see their their little drop off. That's a lot of travel. That's a lot of it, I mean, traveling to the West Coast is hard to begin with. Oh, yeah. it's travel, then you got to adjust your time clock, your internal time clock. You have to get off a plane and go to practice and maybe even play a game that night or the next night. So maybe it's coming. I mean, you, you alluded to it that it's probably coming pretty soon, but I don't think it's going to be anything dramatic or anything to worry about. But Bruins fans have been so spoiled this year with how successful they've been. If they do lose two or three in a row, there might be some panic and that's okay. We have not had any reason to panic really much this year for when it comes to the Bruins. Oh, yeah. And the Bruins and, and the Celtics, too, are, you know, they're keeping Boston fans afloat because you mentioned at the beginning that the Patriots are not very good right now. The Red Sox, duh, no. And the Bruins, you know, it's just, if they, like I said, if they go on this little lull, it might just make Boston fans a little sad, but it's going to be okay because they're a good team. They're, the chemistry is there. Jim Montgomery knows exactly what he's doing, knows exactly what to say to these guys. And I still think at the end of the day, The, the core here, they know that window is very, very close to being sealed shut to get another Stanley Cup, to get Bergeron another Stanley Cup. It should be illegal that he only has one Stanley Cup to his name. And they, the guys know that. And whether they mention it or not, that has to be some sort of motivation for Mm -hmm. them to play their best hockey. So if they do go on a lull here, you know Bergeron's going to be in their ears. He's the captain. He's, he's a very humble leader and he, he leads, you know, he leads by, just kind of existing not really he's not really a vocal leader but you know that these guys are going to step up and if they do go on this little lull they're just going to regroup and they're going to come out and if it's January they're going to have a dominant February and if it's February they're going to have a dominant March but I don't think once it does happen there'll be any reason to really worry about it they're just going to prove that they're a normal NHL hockey team
0: I I absolutely agree now I want to switch from Bruins to the Celtics as the other team in this market, in which that their their excellence doesn't surprise me, even though they at one point they were two and five in the, during a the seven game stretch recently, they found a way to, to bounce back. And I, I thought that Joe Mazzula said something interesting in a press conference following one of their losses, in which that he said that you know what, I'm not worried about the guys. I, I let the guys, you know, like for lack of a better term, police themselves. Like be able to like you know take care of whatever like flux that's going on and and I said, you know it's not often that you hear a coach in sports, let alone in Boston say that you know what I'm not worried about the guys I know what they're capable of. I saw it last season they were able to bounce back from an eighteen and twenty one start make it all the way to the NBA Finals and this little bit of a stretch where they're slumping i'm not I'm not gonna go crazy about so i I'll, I'll even I'll ask you this if you are the Celtics right now and they're still the best team in the NBA, even with their dominant win over the over the um, the Milwaukee Bucks on Christmas day and, and 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 as well as um their win the other night against the the Houston Rockets, if there's one weakness that you look at in pertains to the Celtics, what would it be because it just seems like they have just about everything going for them, their defense, although it's not as dominant as they were last year. But still getting the job done.
1: Yeah, I was going to say their defense. I know that under Missoula, it's kind of dipped a little bit. And maybe that's just his coaching style. Maybe that's just, you know, not really knowing, you know, he knows the guys, but maybe not knowing them the level that Adoka really had on them last year. But, you know, Missoula, one thing I've noticed about him, and he says this, you know, you, you kind of alluded to it, that he trusts his players and he preaches the importance of trusting them. And that's why he doesn't really call timeouts all the time because he knows that they're going to get themselves out of the situation. They He knows that they know what to do. And when you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on your roster, I mean, we've seen how dominant they've been this year yeah. and just how how good they are. Now you have Rob Williams back in the fold too. Al Horford, he's back from his wife having a baby. And I know he's going to be rested every now and then on back-to-backs. and But sometimes he'll play on back-to-backs, but... I do think it's the defense that's kind of held the Celtics back a little bit. Maybe that's Missoula. Maybe that's just the Celtics just trying to kind of find a new identity under a new head coach and maybe not knowing what the future holds for for the Celtics, for Missoula. And, I mean, Jason Tatum still talks about how the NBA Finals, how it changed him, how it pissed him off, how it made him really emotional. So maybe it's some of that, too, where it's just so many emotions for so many reasons this past offseason that... They're having, they're taking a little step back, but much like the Bruins, I don't think there's really anything to worry about. We know what this team is capable of, and we know, I mean, we saw this team in what eighth place around this time last year, and then they went to the NBA Finals. So there's, it's there's still a lot of season left to be played, and I there's plenty of time to figure out the defensive miscues or defensive issues. But you look at the, the team as a whole, and that, there's not a whole lot to really Kind of complain about.
0: Welcome back to Believe in Boston Betting Podcast with your host, Shukri Wright's Lauren Willand of Nesson and Nesson.com. And we continue the conversation about the Celtics, in which that I look at the Celtics and we were just talking about the defense. And there was a column that came out in The Athletic that caught my attention. And Robert Williams has been the anchor of the interior defense for the Celtics. We all know that Robert Williams has missed time to start the season. And the thing that that stood out to me in the article, the question was asked is the Celtics better off benching him in terms of having come off the bench or continue to start him, knowing that 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 knee injury. Is going to be a concern, but they're going to have to manage it from, from here on out, especially for this team that has legitimate championship aspirations. So, so Lauren, do you think the Celtics will be better served continuing to start him or have him come off the bench and substitute in for, for when Al Hofer comes off the floor?
1: That's such a tough one because when I mean, we saw the Celtics get by without Robert Williams in the first however many games he was out to start the season with that while he was rehabbing that injury, but we also know how good he can be in that starting Mm -hmm. five. So it's it's really maybe trial and error. I mean, I don't think you want to mess that up. Like, oh, you'll start this game, and then for the next two, you'll come off the bench. But if I'm thinking long-term, I would think you'd want to put him on the bench, have him come off the bench, and make sure he's fully rested. And maybe Robert Williams won't like that. He's a competitor, and he wants to constantly help his team. But if you can leverage him... And while also getting him maybe more rest for that knee, while also keeping Horford in the lineup, maybe this this is putting him on the bench or having him come off the bench really won't be the worst thing. Especially if you're thinking long term, if you want to go back to the finals, kind of have him rested. Think hockey, right? Like you want to, as good as Linus Allmark is, at some point you're going to have to put Swayman in a little bit more in order to rest Allmark for the playoffs. Very different scenario with the, but you know, centers are not goalies, but you're thinking those Horford and Robert Williams are very big parts of your lineup and you want them as close to a hundred percent healthy as possible for the playoffs. And if you can kind of get them both that adequate rest while also keeping their minutes up, Mm. maybe we, maybe we should, you know, shift Williams to the bench. And like I said, keep that knee as healthy as possible and have them pop off in the playoffs.
0: And you talk about res- uh, reserving, like especially an important cog to this team, and and Robert Williams um, for the playoffs. I do think that the importance of that cannot be overstated, because you you've seen a difference from when he's on the court versus when he's not. When he's um on the court, like when he's off the court, you see that teams are are willing to to attack the basket at free will. Whereas when when he's on the court you've seen teams that 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 are not as willing to drive in the lane and and, and attack the rim as a as they would if he weren't on the court and and in that same token there is one player that I do think that deserves a, a little bit of discussion that is Sam Hauser because Sam hauser i mean we we've heard that the, the guy can shoot I mean but did you really think that he would be as good as he's been from, from shooting beyond the, the three point arc. I mean, I, sh- I surely didn't expect him to be able to do this at the NBA level. We've, we've yeah, we've seen it at the, at the G league with the main Celtics, but for him to, to do it at the, at the NBA level is, it's uh, it's impressive, impressive to say the least.
1: It is. It's funny because, you know, you think six, seven months ago, this time last year, even people are like, who, who is this guy? And now everyone loves him. He's become this like unsung hero. And that's fantastic. But no, I would never expect this kind of performance from him. But this is kind of what the Celtics need or really what any team needs, right? Like, this is the kind of people mm-hmm. that are going to help you in the playoffs. No, I mean, he's not going to put up 30, 40 points. But if he can drain a three here and there when the team is struggling from from that mark, that's going to help you win games. That's going to help you get a bit further in the playoffs. He's been a lot of fun to watch. I haven't watched a ton of Celtics games this year, but he is a lot of fun. Wow. He's always on highlight reels, which I think speaks volumes to just what he's doing. I mean, you had you have Robert Williams on on highlight reels all the time for his blocks, and you just see there So I'm like, oh, I'm like, this guy is this guy. If he's making the highlight reels, he's doing something right.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Now shifting from the Celtics to The team that I know is, I'm about to piss off a lot of people. Um, <laughs> we talk about the Red Sox because Ugh. I know your expression says it all. Your expression says it all. <laughs> I mean, I I, know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even want to talk about the Red Sox, and, and they're not even in season. But this is the reality of where we're at now, where this, is, this Red Sox team and organization, we're about to go to Fenway on Monday. And I, and you probably have or haven't seen the tweets where I basically said, well, the Bruins are about to put on a quieter show. They're about to do more entertaining to the fans at Fenway Park than the Reds are in 2023. But, but, but in all seriousness, Lauren, what the hell is going on on Jersey Street between, between Heimbloom not, not restocking the, the pitching staff as they should? Yes, they did sign um, Corey Kluber to a one-year deal just a couple of days ago. But even then, like, that, that rotation has got more questions than the Charles River Dam go, going past North Station. Like, what what's up? And then, offensively, outside of Rafael Devers, who's the one guy that you can honestly say truthfully that's going to be able to protect Rafael Devers in the lineup? I mean, I- I'm sorry if it's a 2 part question, but this team's got so many questions. Like, what's going on, Lauren? I,
1: I don't know. I've been trying to answer this since, since I don't know, last offseason. But it's just... I don't know if I've ever seen a team crumble so fast and fans get so angry so fast because you lose Mookie Betts in 2019. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Fine. We'll, we'll get over that. But then you're, when the fans are constantly told Bogarts is the priorities. Number one is front of mind. We're, we're going to make this team better in 2023. That's a guarantee. And you're telling players allegedly that this team will be better and you let Bogarts go. There's no definitive plan to replace him right now. Mm-hmm. And then you have Avaldi who left, and you have J.D. Martinez who left. So it's like, okay, if that was the plan the whole time, why didn't you trade them at the trade deadline? Because it seemed like at the trade deadline, once they traded Vasquez to the Astros, that we're like, okay, okay, they're going to sell. All right, well, I can deal with that as long as they go in a direction. And it's like Bloom froze. It's like he panicked and was just like, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm like, this team isn't competitive. I and mean, Christian Vasquez doesn't make or break a team, but... You just, the guy, I mean, you just had a – what was working for that team wasn't much last year. But what was, you need to have those guys stick together and yeah. give them transparency, give the fans transparency. But the, the offense, too. I mean, you have, you have Raphael Devers. Hopefully Trevor's story, I know he was hurt a lot last year. Hopefully he can kind of figure that out. But you're hoping Justin Turner is going to be the same Justin Turner he's been throughout his career. He's probably not going to be. He's 38, 37 years old. And this team all of a sudden is very old. And it's it's weird to think because you had, you know, Bogarts, Devers. You had all these young guys, Mookie even. And now this team is just filled with people who are over 35. Then you have Yoshida, who looks like he's going to be the biggest offseason signing. And you don't even know if he's going to be good. You hope he is. He's got good comparisons offensive-wise. But his defense doesn't jump out. I don't even... I can barely find anything about his defense because it's, it's not very good. It wasn't very good in Japan. Do you, so you just hope and pray that he's going to be good because he's already has here. The poor guy has so much pressure on him already, but it's just, I, I mean, somebody has to be the fall guy, right? And that's high and bloom. But at some point, high and bloom has to have a backbone and go to ownership and be like, no, this is what we're doing. These are the deals we're making. It's what Dave Dombrowski did. Dave Dombrowski was never afraid to make a deal. And then you see all the teams in the AL East. You see the Yankees signing Aaron Judge because, oh, hey, they know they need him to win games, to get to the postseason, and hopefully that he can figure out his postseason slumps too because that's a dangerous guy when he's in the box and he can play the outfield. So, oh, what do you know? You keep someone that gets fans in seats, that brings in revenue, and you have the Orioles getting better. You have the Rays getting better. You have every single team in the AL East getting better around you. And It's just mind-boggling that the Red Sox, who are not a cheap team, they're not a low-payroll team, are worried about luxury tax and they're worried about this and that and trying to sign players for the cheapest contracts and trying to build a team like the Rays. This isn't the Rays. This is the Boston Red Sox. This is a historic franchise. I want Red Sox-Yankees games to be meaningful again and to be fun again. I don't. they're just the last few years. I mean, the wild card game in 2021 was so much fun. And I felt the rivalry was like alive then. But that's what we need all the time. I don't want to go to watch a Red Sox-Yankees game with the Red Sox roster there is now. They're going to get pummeled by the Yankees.
0: (laughs) At least you're honest. I respect that, Lawrence. Yeah, so. unless
1: Garrett Cole and Raphael Devers are the only— Garrett Cole's going to match up with Raphael Devers the entire time. All right, then the Red Sox have a chance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but other than that, it's bad. I mean, we're we're going to pick for that, too, for thanks. But, um, but no, like, you do bring up a, an interesting point about how the, uh, the rest of the American League East got better. You think that the Toronto Blue Jays took a step back? No, they actually are. They're still a good team. They're still going to be competitive. Like, I mean, this is the same Blue Jays team that's going to have Alec Manoa, and as well as now now they signed um a Chris Bassett as well to that rotation. They're going to have some pretty good pitching up up north. Terry is always competitive year in and year out. You know what you have with the Yankees, who all not just only that they um signed um Aaron Judge, but they also signed Carlos Rodon, who's a who's going to be a big piece in that Yankee rotation as well. And here you have the Red Sox, and I, and I hate to be the person that's pummeling down on the Red Sox, but the criticism that they've gotten this offseason is probably light in comparison to what's going to come. Come April, hopefully you don't have Matt McCarthy on, on the sports hub saying send this team off to Vancouver um yet again because this is how bad. This team is, is probably going to be if they don't go to a solid start. Yeah. But... Here's, here's where I have to draw the line, I, and I, I would like to get your take on this. Steve Cohen has come out and said, well, not verbally, but has come out and said, what's a luxury tax threshold? What's that? He is basically the modern-day George Steinbrenner. The only difference is that he just, he's only been the owner for This is going to be his third season coming up in 2023. But he said, to hell with the luxury tax threshold. I want to win. Once upon a time, you could honestly say that was the Boston Red Sox. They'll go out and they'll trade for a Chris Sale, and they'll they'll ship away Yoan Moncada to get it done. They'll go out and they'll um they'll like they'll turn around and spend big money on Manny Ramirez, eight years, one hundred sixty million dollars on back in December of two thousand. But but you get the point that I'm making. Now, why is it that it just seems like John Henry has gone from The willingness to spend to now penny pension, like what's changed?
1: I mean, that's the thing. And it was so drastic because with Dave Dombrowski, I mean, you had everything in a a baseball operations guy that you wanted because he was going to make the move. He was going to deplete your farm system. But you know what? He was going to give you a championship team that year. He was going to get rid of prospects that people were excited about. And the prospects that High and Bloom has brought in, yes, we have some exciting ones in the farm system, but you look at the ones with the Mookie Betts trade. You look at, you just look at the other trades he's made too with prospects, and you're like, does he even read the scouting reports? Because I'm very confused if this man has ever done that. But for ownership to go from, you know, four championships since 2004 to being two games away from the World Series in 2021 to looking like giving up, in 2022 to not giving this team a direction. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not only pissing off the fans, but Alex Cora, even he can only do so much. And he said that he's like, I can't, I can only do so much with the players in front of me. And there's always going to be injuries. There's always going to be things that are out of people's control, but I just, I don't know what's changed. And I know a lot of people say that John Henry is so focused on Liverpool and Fenway sports group being involved with the penguins, I just, I don't think it's that. I don't think that he's distracted or anything. I just think that it's more, I don't care kind of attitude. Like, yeah. because no matter what, people are going to go to games. No, the attendance won't be what it was. But there was a time last year, I, I went to Fenway late September, early September. But I walked into the door for two people With fees and everything for like eight bucks, which is much less than a beer cost at Fenway. And yes, the Red Sox had nothing to play for at that point, but you know, you still had, you still had Avaldi, JD Martinez, Devers, Bogarts, but you still had a a good team. But when you're not even putting a good product on the field, that is going to impact attendance. And I don't know if John Henry really understands that. And I, I, on the Lockdown Red Sox podcast, I was saying that. It, it's such a small thing, but fans won't want to buy shirts or jerseys because they're going to be like, oh, who to buy? Everyone's on a one-year contract. And all of a sudden, it's like Verdugo has been here for three years. Oh, should I just splurge and buy him? Oh, no, he's gone now. Should I buy Devers? because you think he's going to be here long term? Oh, no, never mind. He might be traded or he might sign elsewhere at the end of 2023. So I just, they know the talent. They know the talent is there. And in a way, this is nothing new. You can go all the way back to, you know, Mo Vaughn, that this is not new where how they disrespect players and lowball these players and let them walk. And maybe this is kind of how they built 2013. But and, you know, it wasn't that long ago that it was 2021. The Red Sox were in the ALCS and maybe 2024 things turn around. But I don't know if there's a grand plan because it just doesn't seem like there is And maybe it's the, that the Red Sox have intriguing prospects where John Henry's like, let's just put all of our stock into them, hope they work out. And if not, we'll figure it out in three years time. And that's, that's preaching a lot of patience or pushing a lot of patience onto a fan base that That does not have a lot of it because Mm -hmm. I'm one of those fans. I'm part of that fan base and take sports out of my life. I'm still the least, most, the least patient person on this planet, but (laughs) it's, it's just, it's such a drop off and I just don't know why, where, how. And the, the big thing, and I think Chris Cotillo from Mass Live said this, that John Henry could do a lot of damage control if he just faced the fans or the media and just came out and said something. It would go a long way because he hasn't talked in four years. And yeah. in four years, there's been a lot of, a lot of questions that deserve answers and that fans deserve an ounce of transparency here. No, he doesn't owe anyone anything, but it would be nice to have an ounce of clarity,
0: like John Henry is basically like the the absent parent. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, he, I mean he he really is, and and it's it's disheartening, especially in a in a in a city like Boston where we expect a lot from from like front office and, and ownership, like yep. period. And it's just it, it amazes me in two thousand twenty two, so it'll be twenty twenty three. That an owner can go years without talking to the local media outside of um, a, a favorite globe writer or, or someone that's that's from boston.com and say, hey, come real quick. We're just gonna talk and I'll give you an interview. But these are all the questions I'm gonna answer. Do you understand? Like, no, like, talk to the people at Jersey Street. Like, yep. is, is it that difficult to do? Like, I mean, listen, with all the respect, if if the Jacobs, for God's sakes, can show their face up on a day that Zidane O'Chara retires at the Garden, then John Henry can face the music as well. Like, yep.
1: come and on listen, now. Like- Even when Jeremy Jacobs on, on Bruins Media Day, he couldn't make Bruins Media Day. So, Charlie was there. And, yes, I know Charlie, you know, he's part of the ownership group. but just And Jeremy couldn't make it for whatever reason. But Charlie was there showing face. Mm-hmm. And it's just It just, it it went a long way. and We asked about Jeremy, and he's like, oh, no, he's fine. Like, he's, you know, he's as active as an 85-year-old can be. But the fact that, you know, they didn't shy away, and, you know, it was, I mean, there was a lot of questions, not questions like the Red Sox have, but there were still a lot of questions going into the season. And he was there answering questions, and just, he didn't hide from anyone. And people can have their own gripes about the Jacobs, but, you know, at least Charlie is out there. I mean, we probably never see Jeremy again, but Charlie is out there showing face, so... It would just go a long way if, if John Henry stopped putting Sam Kennedy out there and <laughs> high and bloom exactly. and Brian O'Halloran. I mean, I've seen more of Brian O'Halloran than I have the last three years than I've ever seen of him. And it just, you know, you're the owner of this team. You are in control of this team. We know this team, what this team is capable of. And you're in a city that expects winning, that expects championships. And you're in a city that has been on incredible championship runs since 2000. Yeah. Like, what are you doing to you know break that up? At least the, the Patriots, they're they're winning games at some point, and at some points they are playing competitive football. But you just see the Patriots, uh, the Red Sox, like, why are you, why are you breaking up a good thing here?
0: Exactly. And speaking of potentially breaking up a good thing, or it depends on how you may view it. Um, there's only about two more questions left. I'll shift quickly to the to the Patriots. There's a lot that's been made in regards to Bill Belichick and the job that he has done this season or lack thereof, whether if it was bringing back Joe Judge and Matt Patricia to the coaching staff to the development of Mac Jones or should I say the regression of Mac Jones um, all the way through and through. And as the Patriots prepare to play on New Year's Day against the Dolphins in the home season finale, I do wonder, is this potentially an era-defining or changing moment for the New England Patriots in consideration to what this franchise has done over the last 20 years, and especially the last couple of years post-Brady, considering what's at stake this coming offseason?
1: Yeah, I mean, mean, there must-win games here here on out, but this is Patriots Dolphins. This is something that people mark on their calendars. And with how the season has gone, you just wonder. I, I don't think Belichick's ever going to walk away. I don't think uh, they could get the doors blown off. They could be 57 nothing, and Belichick could be like, whatever, we're on to week 17 or week 18. And we need to just keep focus on the next opponent. I just think he's too stubborn. I think he's going to stay until he breaks Don Shula's win... win- win record easy for me to say yeah. but yeah i mean this is we've seen a lot of regression from mac jones this year i don't think it's all 100% on him at all but this is a, a big game here you're not the dolphins aren't going to have tua the i mean the patriots are going to be quite short-handed most likely with you know marcus jones out that's just a big blow right there and they've mm-hmm. struggled all season and then you have on the other side tyreek hill he's so fast i don't know if you've ever seen him play it live that man can run. I don't think I've ever seen a faster football player. It is incredible watching him play. That defense struggle has struggled a lot this year. They've been a bright spot, but the last few weeks, it's just like, what is going on? And you add the speed in there, and I don't know, this could be, it could be a defining game. And it's, it's crazy to see how much success the Patriots have had the last 20 years, just for it to come crumbling down very very fast. I feel like this yeah. was a last year gave us a little bit of hope and then this year it was just like fast, fast and furious.
0: It was fast and furious more more faster than an avalanche. Yeah. And I mean which is which is bad. And last question to wrap it up. Um Mac Jones. This is a major major last couple <laughs> of games and I and I believed even going into last three games of the season that this was the most important three game stretch post Tom Brady era and here we are it just seems to me that the fan base is either they're either saying hey bring back Tom Brady because he's going to be a free agent this offseason or time to potentially start looking in a different place for a new quarterback or maybe if as if things pan pan out with um, Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator down down for the University of Alabama, maybe bringing him back and and see how that goes. But I just wonder with what we've seen from Mac Jones, from the tip of tantrums on the sideline to the way he's basically called out and blasted the coaching staff in the media, the way that he's expressed his frustration and so forth. Do you think that this could potentially be the end of Mac Jones's era in New England? Why or why not?
1: I do think so, but I think that the Patriots will stick it out with him if they move move on for Patricia and or Joe Judge. If they want to keep them on the on the staff, fine, but keep them away from the offense. Matt Patricia has no idea what he's doing on the offensive side of the ball. He's made that very, very clear, and I think that's where a lot of Mac Jones's frustration has come from, is that I, don't, I mean, I don't think Mac Jones is the next franchise quarterback, but I don't think he's this bad either. And maybe yeah. he's still not 100% healthy from his high ankle sprain, But and I love watching the players get emotional and show the, the frustration, but you don't want it to get into your head and to affect your mental game then because if you're thinking about that, you're not going to perform well. But this, this is a big game for Mac Jones. I mean, I don't know, a few weeks ago he didn't throw more than one touchdown in a game where didn't have games with multiple touchdowns, a lot of these points are coming on defense and special teams. He really needs to step up and he, and it's hard when you don't have a lot of elite weapons and you don't have a good O line, but at yeah. the same time, if you are a good quarterback or a great quarterback, you're going to find ways. He needs to work on his pocket awareness. There's a lot he needs to work on, but I think he's competent enough. I just think that he doesn't have the proper coaching around him and if you want to give him another shot for year three, get him healthy from that ankle sprain. I don't, I, I don't think he'll have surgery, but just make sure that that ankle is 100% healthy. Get him, a, a, a please, anybody but Matt Patricia calling plays <laughs> on offense and just kind of revamp the coaching staff. I think he'll be okay. But you also have to give him the proper weapons too because Absolutely. we've seen, we've seen even Tom Brady without his best weapons struggle. So they, they need those, those good the guys they can trust, guys that can run the ball, catch the ball and everything in between. But this might be a, a huge game for Mac Jones. And if we see another sideline blow up, I, I don't know. I, I feel bad. I, I shouldn't say I feel bad for Matt Patricia just because this is not the job for him. Oh, but no, it's not.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: when you have, you know, young Mac Jones you know, just throwing you under the bus or, you know, yelling and screaming because of you and you're just because you're inept it, it, Then be better Like you have you have a decent quarterback there and you're not you're you're hanging him out to dry so no this all isn't all on Mac Jones that's a long way to say like yes if this is a big game for Mac Jones I still think he's back in year three but I think he's on a short leash and I think because we have seen enough of him where like I said I don't think he's the franchise quarterback But he's definitely not as bad as he's been in 2022.
0: It has been magnificent to have you uh, on the Believe in Boston Betting podcast. Lauren Willen of Nesson, Nesson Nesson.com, and also part of the Locked on Red Sox podcast as well. Lauren, we will definitely talk again in in very short order and also – Happy New Year to you, your husband, your loved ones, especially since this is basically recorded a couple of days before um, New Year's Day. So I just wanted to take the time out and wish you nothing but the most fruitful of the new year that is coming up. Thank you for coming on. I look forward to talking to you later.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. This was great. I'm glad we got to collab again, and I will see you at the Winter Classic.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much.